0: It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm loving all the feedback on our Challenges That Change Us Facebook community. There's been some really great book suggestions. I think I've read like six books since we started this little community Um, and we have another two books for you on this podcast today, but let's talk about this episode This is one of the most remarkable and powerful stories of human suffering and resilience I have ever come across. There is nothing I can say that's gonna prepare you for what you're about to hear. Michael Croslin was diagnosed with cancer before he turned one and was given 4% chance of surviving. He is the only survivor of a drug trial and he had a heart attack at 12. I'm not gonna keep telling you his story because I want you to hear it from him. I will, however, mention what he has achieved in his life to give you some perspective on what you're about to hear. Michael Croslin represented Australia in sport. He toured with Sir Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama as their opening speaker. He received a standing ovation after his speech that sold out the MGM Grand in Las Vegas with 15000 people and one of his speeches got 85 million views. He is also an international best-selling author of two books, Kids Don't Get Cancer and Everything Will Be Okay, where 100% of the profits go to charity. I'm not going to say any more other than you will not be the same person you are right now after listening to this story. Alrighty, I'd like to welcome Michael. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Challenges That Change Us.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for the introduction and thanks for uh, having me on.
0: And Michael, I really love to start our podcast with a little bit of get to know you questions. And the first one I always ask our guests is, is there an animal you'd use to describe yourself? And if yes, what animal would that be and why?
1: Oh, I, uh, I'm glad you didn't prep me with these questions because I would have had a really cool elaborate <laughs> answer to be able to give you so I felt really confident to start with but an animal <laughs> like you, like you think the the dolphin and you think the whale and you think the shark because I love the water and but then like I, I probably guess that maybe an eagle you know thinking of the metaphor behind that wonderful story of the eagle and the chook?
0: I don't know that one.
1: Oh, there's a great story about an eagle that gets stuck in a chook pen and believes that it's a chook and it's told all its life that it's a chook and it never believes that it can fly and it never does fly. But I think all of us have an eagle in us and many of us are stuck in that chook pen and all we need to do is realise that we have the skills and we have the ability to fly but we just need to believe in ourselves. So I think for a long time... I was an eagle stuck in a chook pan and finally I started to believe in myself and I started to surround myself with really great people that inspired me, that challenged me and then I had the great privilege and blessing to to start to soar. So maybe an eagle.
0: I'm sure we're going to get into that story today. I have never heard that metaphor. I absolutely love it. I might actually steal that one as well.
1: (laughs) Please feel free.
0: It's so true though. And you often see that with those, you know, those funny memes that have the two animals that are like chalk and cheese and they kind of hang out and they kind of get confused about who they are or what yeah. they are. Yeah. And it just is that perception can limit us so much, you know, how we choose to view the world can be our biggest change sometimes. So I definitely know we're going to be getting into that. And the other question I love to start with is, did you have a favorite place or a favorite room when you were growing up?
1: Favorite place. I love being home because I spent such a long period of my childhood in hospital. So to to be at home was amazing. We had a creek that ran down the back. I was only telling a buddy of mine the other day in summer, we used to go down to the creek and, you know, have our baths of a time, And I never thought of the people that lived further down the creek that saw the suds from my shampoo and conditioner that made <laughs> me their <laughs> afternoon swim. But uh, probably the creek and being at home, there was something that brought so much peace and joy into my heart when I got to just switch off and, and, and be home.
0: And that was Coffs Harbour for you? That's where you grew up?
1: Yeah, grew up a, a little bit west of Coffs in a little town called Crosma Glen. So we had I think 22 kids at our school, very, very small but um, very tight-knit. Everyone knew everybody. Probably everybody knew everybody's business as well but I was young so I didn't care so it it was great to have some really cool friends and a wonderful upbringing.
0: Very different to where you sit now in the world, right? Like you are working internationally and globally impacting so many lives and to think from a tiny little small country town to this big world stage, you know, that's where I want to go next is... What you're doing now and one of the privileges to being a podcaster is that not only that you get to interview these incredible guests like yourself but I also get the privilege of doing the research of the weeks leading into this interview so I feel like every guest that I bring on this show opens my world up so much more and Michael yours definitely has I read your first book kids don't get cancer and (laughs) it's a bit of a story to that one so I'm sitting in bed reading it on a Sunday morning and my husband rolls over and he's like are you crying I was (laughs) sobbing he's like didn't you just start that book? I'm like, I'm on page three. I was (laughs) sobbing my eyes out. It was such an impactful book. And you have written a second book?
1: I have, yeah. I just elaborated on the first one. So the first book ran up until 2016 when I was uh, unfortunately diagnosed with four tumours of my throat. And It looked like I wasn't going to make it to the end of the year. So I wrote that book called Kids Don't Get Cancer. Obviously, they do. The reason why the title is what it is, and I've copped a little bit of slack over the past about it until people discover what the story is about. But when I was diagnosed at 11 months with terminal stage four neuroblastoma, my mum said, no, no, that can't be right. Kids don't get cancer. And then when mum told dad, dad said the same thing. Dad told grandpa, grandpa said the same thing. No, no, that's that can't be right. Kids don't get cancer. So that's where that first book came from. And then after surgery, the reason why I wrote the first book is because I wanted to leave a legacy to take care of my wife and my mum. I wanted to make sure that even if I wasn't to make it through, that I was still going to be able to provide for them long after I was gone. After surgery, obviously, I got through that. I'm sure we'll delve into that a little bit later, but uh, I wanted to make sure that I didn't get to just leave a legacy. I got a chance to live into my legacy. So now, the book is a bestseller in six countries around the world, and we donate all the profits to charity. So we've never taken a dollar from the book. And then a couple of years ago, when that horrible word that starts with C and ends in over that uh, really changed my life, I was on 186 flights in 2019, spoke in 22 countries, and then 2020, my wife and I, we were locked down for nine months. We didn't leave the house for nine months because of my immune system. And that's when I wrote the book, the second book, which is uh, basically the old book plus another fifty or sixty thousand words, bringing everybody up to speed and a lot more tools and strategies and principles to be able to serve an impact. And again, that that's a bestseller now. And we, um, again, we we donate all the profits to charity. So uh, I appreciate you taking the time to read my book. I'm sorry that uh, it caused some tears, but I think vulnerability is uh, is a beautiful thing, and perspective really can. Can shift our hearts. And like you, uh, we all have a story, right? We all have yeah. challenges. We all have pain and suffering, but it's uh, it's not the pain and suffering that defines us. It's how we deal with it. And I think with the right mindset and the right outlook, we can, we can achieve and accomplish some remarkable things.
0: Definitely. And it was interesting. There were a lot of tears through that book, but the thing that I took away most of all through reading it was hope. Absolute pure hope. And that's a word that I know you talk to a lot, but we don't put enough value on it, right? Like before I read your book, I was feeling pretty hopeless. And then I read it, I was like, what am I thinking? Like, you know, there's so much hope because your percentage when you first got diagnosed with your cancer, what was the percentage that they said that you wouldn't survive?
1: 96% death rate. And I guess, like you said, you know, hope in my opinion, outside of love is the most powerful word in the English dictionary. And if we have hope in our heart, we can overcome insurmountable odds. And what the greatest thing is about hope is you don't need to be a, a rocket scientist or a doctor. You don't need to be rich or powerful. You could be poor, you could be homeless, but you still have the ability to inject and instill hope into somebody's life by simply just sharing a smile, giving them a high five, giving somebody a hug. It's amazing how powerful it can be. And I reflect back on those times and you know I'm I'm just so grateful as a as a little boy, as an eleven month old, that my mum chose to look at my life not being 96% empty, but she chose to look at my life being 4% full. And I think that if we can project that perspective onto our own lives and our own challenges in our own worlds, personally and professionally, I think it's remarkable what we can achieve. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: And it's that, you know, I've heard you talk about your mum a bit and I've listened to quite a few of the podcasts that you have done previously. And the way that you talk about your mum is absolutely beautiful. Like, you know, she was a huge part of your journey along the way. I do really want to ask you about where it started and what it's looked like for you. But before we get into that, I want to ask you about your career in these last sort of decade and the things that you've been up to, because it is really that on its own, let alone before we go back to the beginning of the story, but that on its own is inspirational and is having such a huge impact. So, are you able to tell us a little bit about some of your highlights in your career?
1: I got into banking straight out of university. I went to America. We'll speak about that. I I don't doubt. And then I worked my way up into a very senior executive role, had lots of staff, I guess, power, privileges and possessions. And um, I had an empty heart. And it took me to hit rock bottom in 2010 when I got very unwell again to reprioritize what was really important in my life. And I think that We must embrace the coolness of the shadows for us to have the ability to enjoy the warmth of the sunshine. And I needed to really push through that grind. So I started in the speaking world. And, um, you know, one philosophy or saying that I live my life by is we must give without remembering and receive without forgetting. Uh, So I went overseas, you know, I, I opened an orphanage, I opened a school. We were told we'd never be able to have kids. So I opened an orphanage in 2012 after an earthquake hit Haiti. Killed 316,000 people, left two and a half million people homeless. Uh, we have 44 children that we look after full time in Haiti. We opened a school because we really believe that the key to transformation is through education. And uh, now we have 270 kids that go to our school, and we have 10 full-time teachers and a principal and a counselor. And you know, so that in regards to the humanitarian side of things is is a real privilege. I I'm the national ambassador for many different charities around the country, but to have my own charity with some friends called Frontier Projects where every cent gets sent. There's, We cover all our overheads because we want to make sure that every dollar goes to the cause. It's uh, something that, you know, obviously I'm very, very proud of. The speaking stuff was was crazy, you know. It was a battle for probably five or six years. People told me I didn't have a story to tell. They told me I wasn't marketable. And I love what? when people tell me. Yeah, I love when people no, tell me. No, can you? My oh, son. my God. That's not what I expected you to say. <laughs> it's amazing, right? We all get to a point in our life where people are going to knock us down and tell us that we don't have what we may feel as though we do have. And it's, you know, I, I, I love that saying, no one in your life is ever going to tell you what you can do. They will only ever tell you what you can't. But I chose to listen to myself and believe in myself. And one's value does not decrease based on one's inability to see your worth. And I saw my worth and I saw the impact that I could have. I just had to be patient and be persistent, and have perspective in my heart. And 2016, I guess, was my lucky break. I finally got a chance to speak at an event off the back of doing a free charity event. That led me to doing an event in America. That led me to touring with Sir Richard Branson, the Dalai Lama. I was lucky enough to do a TV show on Ridiculousness on MTV. I was uh, on Channel 9, and on Fox Sports, and then Channel 10. And then I got to go on iFish, like this fishing show with Paul Worthington which was amazing and then the books went crazy and I think through all of these wonderful experiences I was the Queen's baton bearer for the Commonwealth Games and like all these weird things that I can't believe that have been able to fit into my life is a wonderful blessing and a privilege but throughout all of that I think one thing that's been so important to my ability to achieve is to stay really humble and stay really grounded and you know you, you mentioned in the opening all of these things and that I've achieved and then you said about how excited you are to interview some incredible people. You know, I, I'm i wondering who you're talking about because honestly, I am just an ordinary old Australian that's faced my fair share of adversities and now I feel so humbled and so privileged and incredibly blessed to still be here to be able to share with people and hopefully bring people along the ride of this journey of life that, you know, that we are all privileged to live and that we all are going to have an end date. That's very important what we achieve whilst we're here. And it's not about achieving materialistic wealth or achieving mass possessions. It's about achieving impact and it's about finding our purpose. And, you know, I love that saying, the two greatest days in one's life is the day that we are born and the day we discover why we are born. And, you know, I'm so lucky that I'm still young enough to discover why I'm born and now to try and live into that Mission is a great privilege.
0: And, Michael, the part that when you said then about interviewing, being so lucky to interview people, for me, for me when I listen to you talk and I've read all of your work, it's the courage that it takes to stand up and tell your story. You know, I think particularly and one of my questions for you as we go through this today is going to be around how you manage giving to people when you've got so much going on as well, you know, because you I guess now would be a really good time to go back to where it all started before, because I'm not going to keep asking these questions and we're kind of like, and we'll get into it, we'll get into it. So I think we might as well just get into it, right? And then I can ask all the questions I want to ask. Your story really began before you were even one, yeah?
1: Yeah, I went to the doctors with my mom and my sister. She, My sister had an ear infection and I'm i i am a hugger. I don't do the handshake, I don't do the elbow things. So right now I'm bowing because I can't touch anybody and I've always got to have a mask on when I'm around people. But so I give the doctor a hug, his knee brushes my stomach. I'm taken to Coffs Harbour Hospital because he felt a mass that he didn't think was quite right. He airlifted to the Sydney Hospital the following morning, diagnosed with stage four neuroblastoma of the central nervous system. Uh, no chance, go home. The doctors obviously told Mum to brace for the worst and uh, she asked that one question and she looked at my life being 4% full, not 96% empty. Uh, we started chemotherapy on my first birthday, and I say we because of recent times I have discovered that it is far easier lying in the bed than standing next to it. And um, my chemo cycle was nine days on, three days off, not for weeks, not for months, but for years. I was on that same cycle until a doctor came in one day and said that um, the treatment had built a resistance and it had taken over. The tumor had taken over half of my body. I went into surgery, and six hours later, the doctors came out and told my mum that um, they didn't get it all. And my dad and my three older sisters—they were flown from Coffs Harbour down to Sydney to uh, to say goodbye. And um, I can only imagine as a parent
0: mm.
1: that pain. But there was a uh, there was an American doctor. He was trialing an experimental drug on 25 patients around the world, and. Um, This man gave us that word you spoke of. He gave us hope. And um, we started that trial drug with 24 other families. Uh, Within one day, we were all transferred from the oncology ward to the burns unit. Uh, The after effects were so bad that we were completely covered from head to toe in blisters. Uh, What they would do to try and control our temperature, because we were burning from the inside out, was they would lie us in baths full of ice, uh, trying to prevent our brains from frying. Unfortunately, long story short, 24 out of 25 of them died from that drug and I uh, sit here in front of you as the only survivor and I say wholeheartedly that I'm one of the lucky ones, not because I'm still alive but because I wasn't my mum. As I said earlier, all I had to do is lie in bed and feel the pain. My mum had to stand next to me and watch. She had to make a choice to... um, inject a drug that has killed everybody that ever taken it. Um, But she has amazing courage and an incredible grace and strength that I can only admire. Um, She burnt me for 18 months, hoping that one day I was allowed to go home. And uh, the day that I got to go home, they said I would never go to school, I'd never play sport, I'd be a housebound baby, and if I reached my teenage years, it would be a miracle. But um, obviously, I've reached my teenage years, unless I look very, very old for a very young guy. (laughs) I was lucky enough to go to school. I graduated high school. I got a scholarship to live in America and played a game that I loved, and that was the sport of baseball. I had many challenges along the way. My time at school was horrible because I was different. I got picked on every day. My time at school some days was harder than my time in hospital. But what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. And it made me so determined not to prove other people wrong, but more importantly, to prove myself right. I had my first heart attack when I was 12. I was very unwell. I had glandular fever. Then I got chicken pox and I got pneumonia. And uh, then I got the belly bug. And then that's when my whole body shut down. And that's when they said that I wouldn't uh, be able to play sport ever again. And I still remember my mum come through the curtains. And I heard the doctors clearly. I don't know why they take the doctors outside curtains to tell the curtains aren't soundproof right we can hear we can hear everything that goes on out there and they told her all the bad news and the the horrible stuff and she walked in and she put a chest out and I said what did the doctors say she said "Oh, the doctors told me that everything was going to be okay and uh you know two years later I got a chance to play for this amazing country that we all call home in here in Australia and and then uh, three years later was lucky enough to sign a scholarship to live over there and play baseball and Unfortunately, my career ended only six months in. I was uh, playing baseball in Arizona and I slid into a base and my heart had deteriorated. My health was going in the wrong direction. Financially, we couldn't afford to be there and I was sent home. I never, ever played baseball in America again. I never had a plan B. I only had a plan A and I uh, had to come up with another plan A because I gave 110% at my other plan A. And uh, I got a job in banking. Like I said, I climbed the corporate ladder very, very quickly 600 staff, 120 banks within four years. Had all the materialistic wealth you can imagine, but I created the perception of what I thought success was. I had to have the multi-million dollar house and the $100,000 sports cars and the Rolexes and the Imani suits. And As I said earlier, my perspective or my perception from outside looking in was that I led a remarkable life, but from the inside looking out, I was so alone and I was so broken and I was so empty and I was in so much debt. And uh, in two thousand and seven, my mum and dad they separated. I invested all my mum's money to try and help because she didn't get enough money to buy herself a house. I had so much debt in Sydney, I couldn't help her. I finally got the funds from dad and mum, the settlement, and I invested it all. About six weeks before the GFC hit. Yeah, that's uh, that was the beginning of my spiral of um, feeling as though I was a failure, feeling as though I failed my mum and my family and. Out as a son, and I was very ashamed of who I'd become. But I think sometimes in life we need to hit rock bottom for us to wake up to ourselves and realize what's really important. And um, that's when I got really sick. I got bacterial meningitis. I got fluid on the brain. I had Bell's palsy down the right-hand side of my body. I had to learn to walk again and talk again, and that's pretty much when I gave up on life. And uh, I remember praying to God every night in hospital let me just go to sleep and not wake up. And I I think back in those days that he wasn't listening, but I realize now that he was. I began to prioritize in hospital what was really important. I need to understand what success was, and now I understand what it is. Success is about getting out of bed every single day and knowing in my heart that I can make a difference in somebody else's life. The second thing is I need to understand this gift of giving, because I thought for a long time the saying was, the more you give, the more you shall receive. But now I understand the saying should be, the more you give, expecting nothing in return, the more you shall receive. And I think that was a real defining moment in my life. I, I decided to walk away from the corporate world, walk away from chasing materialistic possessions, walk away from ego and arrogance and just chase happiness, chase peace. That's when I transition into this, this person that I have now become very proud of and uh, it hasn't come easy and I've had to be very patient and very persistent and have wonderful habits and phenomenal routines and incredible structure to ensure that I can be the best version of myself to impact as many as I can and now I've had videos with more than 85 million views I've had the opportunity to to travel the world and do things that I never thought imaginable I you know speaking at sellout arenas in at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas in front of 15,000 people and you know signing autographs for two hours afterwards and getting photos and I, I think that they've mistaken me for somebody because I'm just I'm just that Aussie that wants to keep fighting I know that you're going to get to the greatest challenge and that was in 2017 but um we will talk about that some more I'm sure but that. That uh, that gives you a little snapshot up until 2017, where um, you know it was a, a roller coaster ride of great pain and great darkness, but also great growth and great joy.
0: Hey, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you are, and you'd like to learn more or engage further with our podcast community, you can do this in our Facebook group. Just search for "Challenges That Change Us" on Facebook or look in the link in our show notes. In this group, we'll be sharing extra content and giving further background to our episodes. So I hope to see you there. But for now, let's get back to the episode. And Michael, when you talk about those moments in your life that you realized the life you were living is not the life that you wanted to continue to live, how did you Pivot, or how did you pull yourself out of that? Or what steps did you take? Because I don't know anyone more experienced to have this conversation. Like, you know, like you've had to do it many, many times. And when it feels like where you are is not where you want to be, you can know that. But taking the next steps can be incredibly challenging.
1: I think that so often we think when we start to get runs on the board that we have progress. I think when we make the decision to change, that's when progress has begun. We don't need to see the abs after we decide to get out of bed and do sit ups. We just need to decide to get out of bed and do sit ups. And I think that that for me has been such a powerful transition. The first thing I really needed to do is I needed to have the belief in myself. And the way that we begin to believe in ourselves is we surround ourselves with people that are of value to us. you know. I think a few years ago, my wife and I did a big declutter, not of our clothes, but of the people that we surrounded ourselves with. Not that they're bad people, but they were hindering our ability to grow. And I think when people say to you, geez, you've changed, I take that as a remarkable compliment because I would hate to think that I've invested so much time and energy and effort and financial injection to not change. I feel as though I'm finally getting a chance to spread my wings and be that eagle that I was born to Mm. become. And I think we all have that ability in us. Um, I need to be very strategic too. You know, I had debts, I had bills to pay, mortgages to pay, so I need to be really smart in that exit strategy to ensure that I had a certain period of time and a certain window that allowed me to have the financial freedom to be able to do something. I didn't just walk away from everything and not have a plan I had to be very strategic and very targeted and, and very timely. And, you know, it's amazing when you finally get to that point where you rip the Band-Aid off and there is no other plan and there is no other option and there is no other choice. It's remarkable how much more you discover you have in you when you feel as though, I love that expression, when you feel as though you're given 100%. Uh, scientifically it's proven that you're giving about 60 percent so you actually have 40 percent more fat in you more ability more energy more drive in you that you just don't tap into and very rarely do we as human beings actually jump into that 40 percent and achieve that milestone that we want to achieve and there's a great book written by Lance Armstrong's uh, team member who talks about breaking through the wall. And very few people in the world break through the first wall. He talks about getting through the first wall and the second wall before he crashed and burnt big time in the third wall, metaphorically speaking. So I think, you know, what an amazing gift to have the ability to strive and push through to get through one wall, let alone two, and then get nailed at the third wall. So, you know, everybody listening, challenge yourself next time that that little voice in your head tells you that you can't.
0: I was just thinking that, Mike. I was like, if everyone just took a moment and just paused for a moment and actually soaked up that there may be another 40%. That's massive. And what would you do if you were allowed yourself to actually step into that space? Like what would that look like and what things would change in your life and what would you need to surround yourself with to support that next 40%, that next chapter?
1: There's a great line that I regularly speak of and that is we must stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves. Because that little voice, you know, we have 80,000 thoughts a day and 70% of them are negative. So we have 56,000 negative thoughts a day. And it is so easy to get consumed by that and listen to that. What we need to do is start talking to ourselves and building ourselves with positive affirmation on a day-to-day basis. You know, everybody listening, just try this moving forward. Every time you think you're having a bad day, every time you say that you're having a bad day or a stressful day or a challenging day, just change it to I'm having a character-building day. Because that is constructive language, not destructive language. When we start to call ourselves out about destructive language, it is it becomes very annoying because we start to call ourselves out consistently. And I think when we start to consistently call ourselves out by the language that we choose to use that is destructive, then we start to grow. We start to become better people. We start to become better versions of ourselves. We start becoming better employees and better employers. But more importantly than any of that, we, we finally become better mums and dads. Better neighbours and better friends.
0: And do you still catch your inner critic these days? Like, do you still catch it? And what do you do when you catch it?
1: I catch myself every day. And I think that if I'm not catching myself, then I am not acutely aware of what my my mind is saying or the voice is saying, you know, because I'm human. I got a flat tire today on my way home to get ready for today. And you know, it was funny, I, I meditate often, like every day religiously, but I meditate. And you know, I love that expression that was said by the Dalai Lama. And he said, when he was interviewed, what does meditation give you? And he says, Oh, no, it's not about what meditation gives you. It's about what meditation takes away from you, that allows you to lead a better life. And, you know, immediately, I was frustrated because I got a flat tire. But then instantly, I was like, hey, like, I've got plenty of time. It's it's not raining today, which is rare because it just seems to rain every single day. So how lucky am I to and to not be too cold? So I'm outside. I'm getting some fresh air. I've found the spare wheel. I didn't even know that we had a spare wheel because clearly I, <laughs> I don't get flat tires very often, and nor do I check out what's under the boot. But I uh, I got the spare tire. It was just it it gave me a little bit of cardio. So it gave me a little bit of exercise before I went on today. So. There is the way to shift the mindset when challenges get thrown at us to see it as a way to grow and lift and become energised as opposed to be so frustrated.
0: And I often think about if I was going to talk about the challenges of my life and what would be the key strategies or hacks or tips that I'd give to people. And it is exactly what you're saying. It's like, what's happening inside my head? And is there an opportunity here to see it a different way and to view it through a different lens? But a conversation that might be really important to have here would be around, it's still important to grieve and have gratitude. Like you don't have to separate the two and flip grief into gratitude all the time. So, I think sometimes that message can be missed this day and age, particularly after COVID, is that some people think that when we say to notice the small things and to be grateful for the things that you have or to see the sun is shining, like that is a fabulous day. It's not meant to strip away from the grief that you can feel when something massive happens in your world. I don't know if you have an opinion on that.
1: Yeah, I do. And that's a really, really valid point because I think for a long time I was in this state of play where I would go, suck it up. Seriously, it's Mm. not that bad. You know, you've got two legs, two arms and a heartbeat or you're you're not overseas in a war-torn country. But what I realized that I was doing is and, you know, I really love this, All I'm doing is compressing, not addressing. And there's a really big difference. And I think that it's so important in the world that we play in today where there is such depression and suicide rates are so high is that perspective is a beautiful thing, right? It's very important that we have perspective in our hearts because that gives us the ability through our mind to be able to look differently at the challenges that we face. But it's very important that we address the challenges that we are facing and not just compress them. So, you know, I really agree with that. And I think that it's you know, each and every one of us need to come up with our own strategies or, or do our research to identify what strategies they are. But, for example, when I meditate or, or when I'm facing some anxiety and fear, it was so easy for me in the past to just go, ah, just push it away. That anxiety fits in, just go, ah, just move on, try and think of something, turn the telly on, listen to music, do something. But now I sit in it. I sit in that anxiety. I sit in that. And I analyze the darkness and I analyze the color and I analyze the, the pain that it's causing. And then I try and think about the why behind it. And then I try and step out and get greater clarity and perspective on what it is. And then I realize, hang on a minute, it's not anywhere near as bad as what I think it is. You know, I, I tried to catch up with a friend yesterday, I couldn't get hold of him and he hasn't returned my call yet. And my wife said to me, oh, maybe he's ticked off at you because you didn't invite him to renewing of the vows. We renewed our vows after 10 years a couple of weeks ago. It was beautiful. And I was like, oh, oh, my God, no, you're kidding me. That's probably why he hasn't returned my call. No, he had to work all last night. He didn't want to call (laughs) me last night because I was in bed when he finished work. Then this morning he called me and said, sorry, I missed your call yesterday. Meanwhile, I've got anxiety in my heart thinking that this guy's angry at me because I didn't invite him to renewing our vows, which was a very small. I'm coming up with answers. I'm coming up with answers to try and give him why I didn't invite him And it wasn't even a part of the the suffering or or the situation. So it's about addressing and not compressing and, you know, I I feel you. That's
0: a really good example of perspective. Mm. I have a really good perspective tool that I should put. um, I'll try and do a recording of it and put it with this because it is exactly that. Like take a moment, look at your perspective, sit in it, come back out, think about what might be going on for them, come out and then watch it as an observer and see what you think is actually going on because so often we get in our own story and our own language and it just builds and builds and gets momentum. It's a completely different story to the person that's on the other side of the fence experiencing the same experience with us, like they're thinking or they're doing or they're behaving a completely different way but we can't see it because we're so in on our own story and what's happening inside our head.
1: Yeah, when we when we realise that we're nowhere near as important as what we think we are, mm. we very quickly begin to realise that our issues are nowhere near as substantial is what we perceive There, I, I remember very quickly I was doing a presentation and it was there was about a thousand people in the room pitch black dark room lady in the front row and like she was looking at her phone the whole presentation you know it's the most distracting thing when you've got a big crowd and one person staring at their phone you want everybody even though my goal is to get out of bed and make a difference in one person's life, my heart wants everybody to listen. Mm. You know, we all want everybody to love us, but it's obviously we're not designed that way. But And then afterwards, the pre, like I was skipping parts of my presentation because I'm thinking if she's not listening, then there's probably other people in the room that aren't listening. They probably don't want to be here either, so I may as well just skip that session or that section and get to the ending. And uh, afterwards, I was signing books and she was in line. I was like, what the heck does she want a book for? I know why. She wants to buy a book so she can learn what I actually spoke about because she was busy playing on her phone. And she finally comes up and I said, oh, I noticed you were pretty distracted. And uh, she said, yeah, I was, I was looking at my phone the whole time. I was like, yeah, I noticed that. You know, it was, it was pretty distracting for me too. I said, is everything all right? She goes, oh, I hope I didn't distract you too much. But if I got up and walked out of that room during your presentation, I would have taken half the room with me because everybody knows my story. And I was like, hmm. She said, but I've heard about your story and today I wanted to hear it properly. Today I wanted it to be the closing chapter, the final stage of my grieving because I wanted to hear your tools. I wanted to hear your principles. I wanted to hear your emotion. I wanted to hear your ride and your roller coaster and how you deal with such horrific challenges in your life because the reason why I was staring at my phone is I was watching and looking at my six-year-old daughter who I buried six months ago today from stage four neuroblastoma. I was thinking that she was not even listening to what I had to say. And I was so important because I was on stage. Yet this beautiful woman sat there with so much grace and so much strength to hear my pain to help her with hers. And I think if we all can take a leaf out of that story and realize that next time you get cut off, maybe they're on their way to the hospital. Next time someone yells and screams at you, maybe they've just lost a child or broken up with a loved one. The more that we can show humility and grace and love to others, even when they don't show you kindness. I think that's what will allow humanity to shine far greater than what it currently is.
0: I don't think I've cried in any podcast as much as I've cried in this one. My God, it's just like everything that you're saying is such an important message that I just, I want the whole world to hear, you know, there's. It is so important, the message that you have and that you're delivering around to people to write from what does success mean through to how to flip your perspective on what's going on or at least to stand back and think maybe this is just my perspective and not not the whole perspective, the strategies and tools that you're talking about. And we haven't even, you know, we've only talked about such a small amount and I always think about this with the podcast. How do we tell the whole story in a really short time, right? Like you, you have done incredibly well. (laughs) so far but I also think it's really important for the audience to hear about 2017 and what happened for you during that stage if you feel comfortable talking about that
1: that's the hardest bit
0: I know I know I was wondering whether we would go there or not and I was like you know what I think we should oh no it's okay in
1: 2016 was the most incredible year I was finally blessed financially after having an incredible year of work to buy my beautiful mom a new house after I lost everything of hers, to be able to put a, a roof over a head, pink ribbon on a door was just the coolest thing ever. And I, you know, I realized that it is far greater to give than to receive. Obviously that same year was very challenging. I was diagnosed with four tumors of the throat. I had surgery. They removed three out of the four of them. You know, the the week building up to my uh, my operation, I I did a video message saying goodbye to my family. I uh, prepared the, my funeral so that I knew that if I didn't make it, that everything was going to be taken care of. I spent a week with my wife on a boat, just hired a houseboat up on the Gold Coast or whatever it is, a little further north, South Stradbroke Island. And it's amazing we start to inject and invest into the ones that we love when we are faced with an end day. And I just, I don't get it. I don't get why we have to wait until we're on the brink of divorce or the brink of death before we actually decide to invest in one another and show our love to one another. But I got through that, come out the other side. Yes, there's still a lot of ongoing complications, but I'm still here and I'm breathing and I'm smiling. Uh, but the, I guess the biggest thing that we wanted to accomplish in our life is to become parents. Obviously, we were told we can never do that. Hence why we opened the orphanage. And we tried for two years to bring a little girl back from Haiti to live with us here in Australia. But due to sex trafficking, we couldn't get her home. But in 2017, we announced to the world that we were uh, finally pregnant. After many, many, many years of IVF and failed attempts, we um, we got to that point And it went across every single news channel you can imagine. It was way, way too hyped up and... Um, I just landed from the States. It was the 8th of December and um, my wife was at the back with a garden hose pressed against her back. She was 29 weeks pregnant. We were due to have a baby end of February. And she had a lot of back pain. We went to hospital. They checked. She was two centimetres dilated. We were immediately airlifted to Sydney Hospital to Randwick, the Royal Women's. She was pumped full of every steroid known to man. And um, then... Four days later at uh, 6.40 p.m. on the 12th of December, uh, she gave birth to a a beautiful little boy. Um, It's got a really good ending, but... um, (laughs) I'm
0: bawling my eyes out already.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. A beautiful little boy named Lachlan James who weighed two pounds and was very, very unwell. He was put in intensive care unit level three where we couldn't hold him or touch him. We couldn't be parents. And um, again, I I felt like I failed as a dad. I felt like I failed as a husband and a man. And um, it was a very, very long road. And then after about a month of him being in there, we were called, we were staying at the Ronald McDonald House, which was where I stayed as a little boy. What a full circle that was to be there as a dad as opposed to a child. Yeah, then the doctor called and said, we have some serious complications with your little boy. And we raced in and uh, my wife went to Lockie, and I went into the room. And he told me that our son had an illness called sepsis, a blood disease, where he said that he wouldn't make it to the end of the week. And uh, I went out and my wife hugged me and said, what did the doctor say? And I got a chance to return that beautiful favor that my mom gave me when I was 12. And I told her that everything was going to be okay. And fortunately enough, I was right. And um, now he's a healthy little four-year-old boy who um, who shits more than we can imagine, (laughs) who, um, who eats more than we can imagine. And I love him more than anything. I love him more than the air that I breathe and the world that I live in. It's like another little human running around on this planet. With my heart in his body, and uh, what made it even better was, um, after nine months of isolation in 2020, my wife fell pregnant, and uh, in 2021, my wife gave birth to a beautiful little girl named Summer Grace, who um, who was healthy and who was happy, and who is just deliciously delightful. And you know, now we have our little pigeon pair, and Someone said to me one day, you've been dealt with some pretty shit cards. And I remember saying back to them, whilst ever I'm being dealt cards, that means I'm still in the game. And whilst ever I'm still in the game, it's about how I choose to play those cards that allows me to live a remarkable life. And I challenge everybody listening, you know, you all have been dealt a hand of cards. Don't spend your life comparing your cards to other people. Don't spend your life complaining about the cards that you've been dealt. Just be so grateful that you still have cards, and that you're still in the game, and play those cards as effectively as what you can. You know, I'm so grateful for the pain. I'm so grateful for the lessons, and I'm so grateful for the joy and the love that's in my heart every day. That's uh, that's my 2017 oh. challenge. <laughs> that's still that's still kicking me today.
0: Oh. We did say at the beginning that we may cry, but I think we've both cried a lot through this. The thing that I really hear you say throughout, it is so consistent in your story is, you know, and this isn't your language, so I'd love you to um, add on to this, but I'm hearing it's like when we spend so much time stressing and worrying and watching everyone else, we're missing our moments and we're missing our life and we're missing our time with the people we love. You know, it's like, If you do get dealt stuff that's really horrible, you do still have an option on how you spend those days. You know, you still have the opportunity to be close with your loved ones or to cuddle the people you care about, you know, and just still make those small moments count because you don't know what's around the corner, good or bad. We don't know. And we can choose each day the attitude that we wake up with. Like we do get that option. No one gets to choose that for us. Only we do.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I I think through great darkness, that's our discovery moment. We don't discover how unfair our life is, but rather we discover how powerful we have been created. And as I said, that 40% that we still have left, we discover that. We find that when we're in the trenches and we're scuffling and we're fighting and we're gripping and gritting and doing everything we can to get out of it. And, you know, I I also think that it's really important that we don't wait until we're in that dark moment in our life mm. to to appreciate the little things that we often take for granted. I every single day I, I have my clients, I do a lot of executive coaching with different people around the world and I share with them every morning the three things that I'm grateful for. And many days I'm very grateful just for the very simple things. Like, you know, I was very unwell last week and I was grateful every day that I was unwell because I was one step closer to getting well. You know, it's a, its about how we look at it. It's how we reframe. It's how we analyze things a little differently with a heart of joy and gratitude, as opposed to resentment and and hatred. That um, can really allow us to lead a life that is filled with so much more peace. And stop comparing. That's that great saying. That, you know, we compare our behind the scenes to others' highlight reels. Stop getting onto social media and thinking that their life is better than yours you don't realize what they're going through and you don't realize what their pain and suffering is as well because they're just showing you the good stuff. Just be in your own lane, live in your lane and enjoy your life and find the good in every challenge that the world throws at you because tomorrow is not guaranteed for any of us.
0: I wrote that quote down. So I've written a couple of your quotes down and that that was one of them. And the other one is it's not adversity that defines you, it's how you deal with it. This morning's a really good example. My daughter was up, it was 4am in the morning and she's on a really high dose of steroids at the moment. And she was sick, like she was crying and she was going to vomit. If she vomits, we've got to take her to hospital because it can be life-threatening. And my husband was just like, oh, and I said to myself, "Mate, while she's doing this, it means we're one step closer to her getting better. Like there. It's horrible now, but this means we're still in the game, like you said. Like they were our words this morning To my, between my husband and I. It's like as hard as this is, we're still playing. Like we're still here. We're still having a go. So the other thing that I thought about when you're saying that, and I want to share this with everyone because it's very real and it's very honest and I think you and I both come from this place, is last week I said to my husband, i got no regrets, none. Like not many people can sit there in life and say, the life I'm living right now is a life that I'm really truly okay and happy with and we're in, we're in a dark shitstorm at the moment but I mean that, genuinely mean that. There's no regrets no matter what happens. I'm spending time with the people I love. I'm doing work that I absolutely love and making decisions based off the values or the things that are important to our family, you know, the priorities that we set. And I think you spoke about that really early on in this podcast about knowing your why and having a vision. And I think that's really important because on those dark days, that's still what can get us up and get us going. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I really think that when you discover your why and you understand that you are put on this earth for a reason and you you start to acknowledge coincidences and you realize you're in the right place at the right time to lead the life that you're meant to live, then I think that the fear and the uncertainty and the anxiety seems to just go away, and you start to to live a life with great peace you know i'm I have great faith, and that has served me very well in the past, especially through my darkest days and I really believe that we have a blueprint and it's all set out for us. we just need to make sure that we're on the right track and there are some days where I just think to myself, I am right where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed mm. to be in this seat talking to you right now, hopefully touching the heart of one person that's listening to this, somewhere in the world that desperately needs some sort of direction, some sort of hope, some sort of love, you know, and, and, and I'm reaching through the screen, wrapping my arms around you, saying that everything's going to be okay. Mm.
0: And I think, you know, when acknowledging too that fear is of what is, hasn't happened yet, you know, I think we forget that sometimes, like fear is of the unknown. It's of what hasn't actually happened. And I always think about that, um, you know, if you're playing a soccer game and you go to kick a goal and it hits the goalpost and it goes 1% one way, it could go 1% in or it could go 1% out and fear is of that goalpost. We don't know which way it's going to go. It hasn't happened yet.
1: That's very powerful. One of the lines that I live my life by is that your head needs where your body's at and I think too often what I mean by that is too often we're so fearful of what might be tomorrow we're regretful of what may have been yesterday. We forget to focus on what is right now. The more that we can stay in the present and have a head securely connected to our shoulders. And when we start to have that, you know, compress or address anxiety, we just need to also identify where that emotion, where that feeling is coming from. And if it's about tomorrow, then be strategic to make sure that it doesn't happen. If it's about yesterday, there's nothing you can do about it to change it. Mm-hmm. So why sit there in pity?
0: We're talking all these sayings now, but they are good. I did hear one yesterday from a guy that said, "Um, you can get out of the ring and stop fighting, but not be powerless." And I was like, "That's a great one." You know, you don't have to be in the ring fighting all the time. You can step out, and and you don't lose your power. You know, the power within yourself, your personal power. One of the things that I was thinking about might be really valuable for our listeners after the conversations we've been having today is what do you do to anchor yourself? You know, whether that be on a daily basis or whether that be during those times, like you talked about habits and you talked about structure and routine. And I've, I've had this conversation with our listeners. I say to them, you know, what you do is not necessarily what's going to work for them. But I do love asking our guests when they come on, because, you know, there might be something that you've tried that might work for someone else somewhere down the line.
1: Yeah. So, I have a very structured routine. Like I said earlier, I I wake up at 5.15 every morning. And it's funny because people say, oh, you know, I I can't do that. I'm not a morning person. I'm not a morning person either. I've been doing it for three years now and I'm still not a morning person. I still don't springboard out of bed and think that life's incredible at 5.15 and it's pitch black dark and it's the middle of winter and it's freezing cold. But I understand the benefits of it. You know, I do a lot of self-scanning of the morning. Before I get out of bed, I think to myself, you know, where am I on a scale of one to ten? How do I feel? And I've got to be honest, this morning I woke up, I was probably feeling about a three or four. And I knew that once I went through my three-step process that I was gonna feel a whole heap better. And afterwards I probably felt about an eight or a nine. And the three steps for me, I just activate, meditate, and appreciate. They're the three things that I do every morning. So and you know what? If I'm really struggling out of bed of the morning, I probably meditate, then activate, then appreciate. The reason why I do that is because my mind is too strong to empower me to have the ability to go and get some exercise on. So meditating calms my mind, slows my thought patterns down and gives me the ability to do that. So I activate, do some sort of exercise, whether it's push up, star jumps, run, or swim, whatever it is, just to get the heart going. Second thing is I meditate for 15, 20 minutes just to go through a very simple – there's so many different exercises online. Hit me up on social media and I'll send you a recording of one of my audios, which is you know free and easy. It's 15, 20 minutes. And then the last one is, uh, is gratitude So I, or appreciation. So I send a text to my clients and I write down my three things that I'm truly grateful for every single day. And through that meditation, I talk about um, the three questions I ask myself inside that meditation, and that is what am I excited about? So it allows me to go forward into my future and be excited. What am I grateful for, which allows me to reflect on my past? And what's my intention? So how do I want to show up today? How do I want to be seen? and to be accountable for that uh, commitment of the morning. So that has been a huge thing that's helped me massively to stay present, stay grounded, and um, probably helped me to be a a better dad and and a better husband.
0: And we're going to be wrapping up the interview. Is there something that I haven't asked you, you know, because we've talked about a lot and, you know, often as the um, interviewer, or e, I always get it wrong, you know, like we direct the conversation. But for you when we've been talking about everything today, is there something that you wanted to share or something I haven't asked you?
1: No, I don't think so. Like you said before, have you got any regrets? Would you change anything? That's always a great question and, and also like, These two quotes that I heard yesterday, well, not yesterday, but I shared them yesterday on stage. One was, um, they tried to bury me but I was a seed. Didn't realize I was a seed. (laughs) I
0: love that. Oh, my God, I've never heard that one.
1: I think that one's really cool. They tried to bury me but didn't realize that I was a seed. And the other one, speaking of seeds, is you don't pick the fruit from the seed you planted yesterday. So I think that we all need to understand that we need to, you know, we need to nurture the seed, we need to water the seed, we need to fertilize the seed, we need to let the seed grow. Sometimes the seed that we plant is actually to provide shade or fruit for others, not just for ourselves. So we need to be patient, we need to have the desire to serve others and then we have the ability to serve ourselves. So um, they're just two really cool quotes of mine that yeah. I that I love sharing. They're not my quotes, sorry, but I just really love sharing them. <laughs>
0: I'm so glad you did. I love to finish the interview. I could talk to you all day, seriously. I'm just like, I wonder if he's got another hour. Could I just keep going? (laughs) That's my thought process. But I know, I know, I'm so grateful that you've been able to give up your time to come on. One of the questions I love to finish with though is who in your world or what in your world truly makes you belly laugh? You know, like the one that where you feel like you get giggle juice and you can't stop laughing, you get the whole body shakes.
1: Jeez, that's uh there's some that's funny like uh, belly laugh you know there's some great comedians and all those sort of things but my kids 99% of the time they just drive me up the walls but that 1% just makes the 99% dissipate and go away they make me laugh they make me giggle they make me just they fill me with so much pride and with so much strength and so much resilience and they fill me with the ability to want to fight my challenges so I could, you know, see them, see them grow. For a long time I never thought that I would I never could visualize my my longest future. Um, but now I, I I wanna see my son play his first soccer game. I wanna walk my beautiful daughter down the aisle. I now have dreams and um, you know, they they made me cry, but Jesus, they uh, they certainly made me belly laugh, that's for sure. I'm just so so blessed and they teach you so much so quickly yeah. and um you know i i'm just uh yeah that that's my answer to your belly question they made uh, me belly laugh
0: <laughs> and i know it's meant to be the end but the question that comes up for me is do you have a message for your children like listening to you talk about them is there something that you want to tell them on this podcast
1: oh geez their daddy's so proud of them and daddy loves them and daddy would move mountains to allow them to achieve their dreams and live the life that they truly deserve to live
0: I don't even have words for that interview I have met tens of thousands of people in my life and Michael Croslin is truly remarkable we chatted after the interview had finished and I asked him what is the best way that we can support him going forwards and he was pretty clear on his answer they need some support for the children in the orphanage. Either through sponsoring a child or purchasing one of his books where a hundred percent of the profits goes directly to the charity. Due to COVID and the decrease in the world tours, that's had a huge impact on their ability to support the children. So if you're still listening to this episode now, can you please jump online and buy one of his two books? or through the website in the show notes below we can sponsor a child. Share this episode with five people today so we can help spread Michael's remarkable story. I can't think of a single person in the world that wouldn't benefit from hearing what we just heard. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.